Well, it's good to be with you once again. Thank you so much for watching this. And I hope again, and my, pr and my prayer is, of course, that they bless you and uh, help you and strengthen you. We've been looking in uh, Psalm 78 for quite some time now. And I want to go back to Psalm 78, 70, just one verse in there. And I want you to follow along in your Bible as we consider some things that are very, very important. As Asaph is writing this psalm, obviously, as we've said every week, his concern is about the children. And yet he never gets on to the children. He never fusses about the children. He never scolds or chides the children. What he does is he speaks to the older people, people like you and people like me, fathers and mothers and grandparents and aunts and uncles and the older people maybe in the village, we might say uh, the senior adults in the church. We're the ones that have a lot more control over their future than we really understand. Now we're told by the media, and I think it's demonically inspired, that once you get past a certain age, you can't really relate to kids anymore. Leave the younger generation to the schools. Leave the younger generation to the television shows. Leave the younger generation to their video games and all of the things like that that they have. And uh, yet the Bible would say that, remember in Titus 2, it's the job of older women to teach younger women. Younger women don't always want to learn, neither did you. Older men are to teach younger men, and sometimes they don't really like our interference. Sometimes we just kind of have to do what we do and lead by example, have an awful lot of patience and an awful lot of grace in order to have maximum impact. They're not going to get it the first time, and they're going to push against it and push the envelope. I think every generation does that. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes some things need to be changed. They need to be improved. They need to be adjusted. Sometimes they don't. We have to leave that in the hands of God. But what we need to do is to love them enough to teach them all of the things we've been learning about in Psalm 78. I think this is an excellent parenting course, this psalm. And if we will take those to heart, and um, if we will love our kids and love our God and love the Word of God as we ought to, we could have a tremendous impact on this new and upcoming generation. In fact, I think with all of the things that are going on right now, I'm thinking that some of the people that we think are a little bit out of reach that we can't quite relate to, they're starving for someone to love them, someone to spend time with them, someone that they can interact with in some ways besides a text or some other type of social media, someone that can be real flesh and blood that takes an interest in them, prays for them, asks about their life, and counsels them whenever they are willing and ready to receive it, and also speaks truth to them even when they don't want to hear it. That seems to be the point of Psalm 78. Generations, every generation, your generation, my generation, and the generations upcoming, even the ones who haven't been born yet, are going to struggle with some of the same things. It goes back to the root of sin and uh, the sin nature that we have to want to be our own God, to want to rule ourselves. You watch any toddler and you can see them as they try their hardest to rule their own world. And of course we don't let them because we know they can't take care of themselves. When did we ever 
let our children get to the age, especially while they're still under our roof, where we think that they don't need us. When did we ever get the idea that our adult children, maybe even our adult grandchildren, if you're old enough for that, to think that they don't need you? And they may not need you in exactly the same way, but they still need you and they need that influence. That seems to be the thrust of what we find in Psalm 78. Now today, we're going to take that last verse and we're going to ask you to get involved in a, a nasty, nasty situation, and that is to get involved in politics. Now, I don't mean in just the traditional way. As a steward and an American citizen, you ought to exercise your right to vote and you ought to be well-informed and uh, your uh, convictions ought to be biblical and you ought to vote accordingly. But that's not really what I'm going to talk about tonight. I want to talk to you out of Psalm 78 about future kings. Are you praying <clears throat> for future kings? Now, I say that loosely because I know in America we don't have a king, but in the Bible, the people that were living then could not fathom the kind of government that we have because it didn't exist. And we ought to always be thankful for what God has given us in the United States of America. But I use the word king to talk about leaders. Someone is going to lead in the future. There's always going to be some type of leader in the United States of America. Someone is going to be a leader after you're gone. Someone's going to lead this country when your children and when your grandchildren are 40, 50, 60, 70 plus years of age. Someone's going to do that. And I uh, thought about what the Bible says about the kingdoms of this world and the kingdom of God where they kind of intersect. It's not all bad. 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2 says, First of all, meaning as a priority, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. And then he says this, For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. I think about a clash between two kingdoms when Nebuchadnezzar was proud of what he had accomplished in the kingdom that he had built. And you remember the Lord humbled him. And after seven years of Nebuchadnezzar losing his mind and living like an animal, um, it says in Daniel 4, 34, that at the end of these days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Uh, that's an astounding, astounding theological statement by a king who was a proud, self-sufficient, blaspheming idolater, the one who had conquered uh, Judah and the one who had taken captives, remember that? And the one who had had the audacity to go into the temple of Yahweh and plunder it and take its treasures out. And God allowed him to do that because he was a tool of chastisement 
to the, the nation, to God's people. But at the same time, God purposed to bring a Daniel into this pagan king's life to testify of the Most High God, and you just heard the result. So I don't care who the leader is, Republican, Democrat, Independent, Communist, Socialist, whatever it might be, I don't care under what context or what country. Maybe here in the United States, it may be somewhere else. We are to pray for those who are in authority, whether we elect them or not, whether we were the ones that voted for them or not, and we need to pray for them because that's what God commands when he wrote to Timothy, and that's what he commands to be a priority. I'm not sure very many American evangelical Christians make this much of a priority. Now, we've had a lot of campaigns to get out the vote and to vote for the right people and vote your values and all of that, and that's fine. But I'm afraid we have neglected the command to pray for them. You see, Daniel could not organize a moral majority, shows my age, doesn't it? Daniel couldn't organize a get-out-the-vote campaign. Daniel didn't have Facebook memes that he could post and stir up trouble on the Internet. He couldn't tweet anything. Daniel could pray, and you remember he was thrown into the lion's den because he was a man of prayer, and he didn't change that custom because of who was the king or what the law might have said. He was consistent in all that he did. And look at the impact that he had on Nebuchadnezzar because when Nebuchadnezzar's reason returned to him, he prays and talks about and extols the God of heaven that he had heard about from Daniel. Whoever is in charge, whoever is elected, whether you agree with them or not, pray for them. Pray for their soul. Pray for wisdom. And pray for their advisors. I prayed for presidents that I didn't necessarily agree with, that God would bless them, that God would keep their family safe, that God would give them wisdom, and, listen to this, that God would place a Daniel in their life. Um, that's what we are called upon to do as Christians. We ought to want them to be saved. We ought to want them to do well, and we ought to want to have uh, a peaceable and quiet life. We want to have that in our nation, law and order, those types of things. <clears throat> now, I think parents make a major mistake when they pray about their kids now, but they don't pray about their kids then, later, in the future. Uh, we always want to do that. I think I've told you this story before, but with each one of my children, while they were still in the womb, I would pray for them and talk to them every night. Now, you may think that's crazy. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I don't have any way of knowing. But somebody told me that babies in the womb can hear and recognize voices and that their brains are recording things. I wanted them to know me. I didn't want them just to know their mama. I wanted them to know me. And so I would talk to them and tell them I love them and I would pray for them. And when we got close to the time of their birth, I even took a Bible and I read the verses out of Romans that talk about salvation. Some call it the Romans road. And my prayer was, Lord, if it's true that they can hear and if it's true that their brains are recording all of this, then I pray that before the world ever has a chance to put anything into their mind, that it has to crawl through the gospel. It has to go through your word. What was I thinking about? Their future. Sammy and I would pray regularly for our children's spouses, even when our kids were one, two, and three years of age. Who thinks about marriage 
when your kid is a toddler or learning how to walk or playing on a swing set? Well, we did. And we prayed for, we didn't know we were praying for Jennifer and Isaac and for Jeremy, but we were all of those years. We prayed for them and we prayed for their upbringing. We prayed for their salvation. We prayed for their safety. We prayed for their discipline. And we even prayed for their parents as they were raising them. We have to think ahead. Our children, as we've said before, are like arrows that are going to go into areas and generations and time periods that we're not going to live long enough to see. But our influence will still be felt. And some of the other things that I wrote down here that um, would be on my heart, to pray for our children's future uh, in terms of their sin tendencies. I'm really sorry to tell you this, but your child was born according to the Scripture, so if you're a Bible believer, you have to accept this. And they were born with a sin nature, which means that the problems that your kids have, some of them minor and some of them very severe, and my heart goes out to you. Some of them, you look at that and you go, well, they just fell in with a wrong crowd. Can I just ask you a question? Why was that wrong crowd appealing to them? Why did that wrong crowd have influence over them? Well, it's because of their sinful heart. It's because of their sin nature. It's because of their depravity. And that's why you can take them out of the school that they're in and they still have problems. That's why you can fuss and gripe and get on to the principal and the teachers and blame everybody else. You can change churches. You can change locations and the problems follow. You know why? Because it's a heart problem. And the sooner modern day parents get to understand that, it's not everybody else's fault. Your child has a problem just like you do. And that is Adam's sin indwells all of us. And so we need to teach them and discipline them because of that. Their sin nature and their heart. Pray about that. We need to pray for them and protection from things like abuse and addiction. Those kind of things. It's out there. I don't want any of my grandchildren to ever have to suffer abuse of any kind. And I don't want them to ever have to fight the battles of addiction to pornography or to alcohol or to drugs or tobacco or anything like that. I don't want them to live that kind of life and have to go through those type of struggles. Those struggles are very, very real. And I'm very compassionate toward people who have those problems. It's not just enough uh, to just decide not to do it anymore. I mean, it gets a hold of you and it is hard. I pray about that for our grandchildren. Pray that they would also take discipline seriously and learn to be accountable. You know, even as Christians, we have trouble with that. Have you ever read Hebrews chapter 12? Yes, I know you are going to the part where the Lord disciplines those he loves. There's another part of it, though, that I think we need to consider. It says, don't despise the discipline of the Lord. You know what despise means? In our culture, it means we hate something, you know, we loathe it. But in uh, biblical times, the Greek language, the original language of the New Testament, despise meant to take it lightly or to overlook it. And you know, you and I have this tendency. God disciplines us and we say, get me through this. Oh, Lord, deliver me. And then once we get out, we go, whew, glad that's over. And then we go back to what we were doing before. You know what? Your children do the same thing. And you may discipline them and you may do even a good job disciplining them, but they need to take it seriously. 
and learn accountability from it. That's something that you can pray about that affects their future. Pray about uh, guidance into an honorable career. What is God's will? What is God's calling? How has God gifted them? How has He shaped them? How does their mind work? Those type of things. It may not be to go into the career path you've chosen. It may not be to follow in your footsteps. It may be something completely different that God has designed them to do. Some of the people that have invented some great, great things that we um, use today for our comfort and our convenience and some technologies and all of that, if you were to go back and look at the people who invented those, some of those people are weird, folks. They're just strange, and they don't fit in. And God made them that way so that they wouldn't just go along with the status quo. Because they're different, because they think different, they invent personal computers and software that runs those computers, all kinds of things like that. Well, God may make your child to go a different path. I'm not saying he's going to make your child weird, but he may make your child to follow a different path than you ever thought about to do things that have never entered your mind. You've got to guide them. Train up a child, the Bible says, in the way he should go. Not the way you want them to go necessarily. Hopefully they'll be one and the same. But sometimes what we want and what they were designed to do are different. You need to pray about that and pray that your child will go into an honorable <clears throat> and profitable career, right? And then we need to train and pray that our children will submit to Jesus Christ as Lord. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved, Romans 10, 9. Pray for your children's salvation by submitting to Jesus Christ as Lord. Not just having some kind of an experience, not just being emotionally tied to the church or something like that, not just raising their hand and repeating a prayer like a parrot would do, but to actually have an encounter with the gospel and to see their sin and that Jesus paid for that sin debt on the cross, that he rose from the dead, has been exalted to the right hand of God the Father, that every knee will bow and every knee will confess, that uh, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you want your child, your grandchild, you want them to do that and only the grace of God can draw them to that. So is that enough? That's a lot of information if you think about it. But it made me consider what this psalm ends up with, that last verse. How about the leaders who will be in office when they are rearing their children? What's going to happen there? I don't know. And you don't know. Only God knows. But if we are to pray for leaders, kings, and all who are in authority, like Paul told Timothy, has it ever entered your mind that maybe we ought to pray for those who are not kings yet? Should we pray for those who are maybe toddlers right now that one day will be a senator or a congressperson or a governor or even president? Should we pray for them? Yes, they're going to affect our kids' lives. Don't we want our children and grandchildren to also have a quiet and peaceable life, as Paul said? We certainly do. And so the environment and the governance and the laws and the philosophies, all of those are very, very important. Notice in Psalm 78:70, it says here, 
that God also chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds, from following the ewes that had young. He brought him to shepherd Jacob and his people and Israel, his inheritance. So he shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Did you catch that? How important is a leader? How important is someone like a David in the life of thousands, maybe millions of people, however many people were in the nation of, of Israel during that time? How many people did one man, King David, how many people uh, were affected by his rule and by his reign? Now, the people had wanted a king, and they didn't realize that they actually had one, and their king was God himself. But the people wanted a king they could see. They wanted a king that could lead them into battle. They wanted a king where there was glory and splendor, and he sat tall in the saddle, and they could see him and hear his voice and follow him. And they said to Samuel, give us a king like the other nations have. I mean, other nations have that. Why can't we? We have this king that we can't even see. And Samuel warned them that if you get a king, you know what's going to happen. He's going to take you into battle. He's going to tax you. Uh, all kinds of things are going to take place. And they said, we don't care. We want one anyway. And they chose King Saul. Disaster, right? Disaster. But God in his grace brought forth the king of his choosing, and that was David. And David is chosen to be king and anointed to be king long before he ever became king. You remember that story? Samuel goes as a prophet to Jesse's house and God shows him that it's none of the brothers, it's David that is to be the king, the least likely of them. And he became the standard for kings in the nation of Israel. So when we think about David, we're thinking about how he was chosen to be king long before he became king. I wonder if anybody was praying about that. I wonder if anybody in Israel was praying and saying, Lord Saul has been a disaster. Please bring us a king that will shepherd us and lead us with integrity. Uh, I don't know, but I kind of got a sneaking suspicion that maybe someone somewhere was doing that. May I ask you a question? Who's praying for the president who will be in office when your baby, when your infant is an adult? Who's praying for the next president to follow Donald J. Trump? Who's praying for the president to follow that president who will follow that president? I mean, this could go on and on. What if there's a series of one-term presidents? You'd have a lot of them in a lifetime, couldn't you? Who's praying for those people? Well, I think... We as Christians ought to be doing that. Would you consider some things here based on these verses that um, uh, could help? And number one would be simply this, pray for a servant, a David. When uh, God talks about this, he talks about choosing David, his servant. Too many times politicians are arrogant. They're out for their own well-being. They don't care about the people and they don't feel any accountability to God. They lie, they cheat, they steal, they manipulate, they set up laws not for the good of the country but to um, assist them when they go out of office so that they can be a lobbyist or make a lot of money and, 
in whatever company they have kind of favored. I mean, all kinds of things go on like that. Wouldn't it be good to have someone who sees themselves as not an entitled person taking advantage of the system, but a person who says, I'm accountable unto God? Do you know why in Europe <clears throat> people are called like the prime minister and all of the titles have the word minister in them and the ministry of defense and the ministry of finance and all of that? Because for a time in England's history, <clears throat> there was a man, a Puritan, named Oliver Cromwell. And Oliver Cromwell was in charge, not the king. And Oliver Cromwell, as a man of God, was telling everybody that was a government official, you are not a leader, you're a servant. You're a minister. Did you know the word minister means servant? And so the prime minister is the chief servant. That's the way it was supposed to work. I know it always hadn't. Well, what if government officials, from the president all the way down to those who serve on the city council, what if they actually saw themselves as ministers, as servants, chosen by God, as was David? Oh, that would make a big difference. How's that going to happen? Well, I don't know. And I'm not sure I've ever really seen it happen, because I think we all struggle with this, don't we? But what if, what if it did? Well, it would be God that would have to change their heart. And how does God change their hearts? Oftentimes, through the prayers of godly and faithful people like you. I would encourage you to start praying about the person who will be president when your children grow up. David here is an amazing person. And the Bible says in Romans 13, verse 1, let every person be subject to governing authorities, for there is no authority, whether it's a David or a Saul, right? No authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by Him. We get what we deserve sometimes. We get what we want sometimes, and it blows up in our face. But every once in a while, God gives us someone of His choosing that functions as a servant for the good of the people. Pray for that. Number two, pray for future leaders to have a good upbringing. You know, the one that you're praying for right now, if you have uh, grandkids that are as young as mine, I mean, uh, we, whoever is going to be president may be a toddler right now. Whoever is going to lead in their lifetime may be a, a young kid right now. So my second point, pray for them to have a good upbringing. Because Asaph tells us here that David was taken out of the sheepfolds. That's a reference to his childhood. You remember in the sheepfold, that's where Samuel asked uh, Jesse, his father, are there any other children? And he said, oh yeah, there is one more. It's almost like David was forgotten. You see, in the days in which David lived and the Bible was written, if you were a shepherd, you were not considered a person of high intellect. You were not considered a person that had a bright future. I mean, if you can't do anything else, you can always tend sheep. Anybody can do that. And notice how they just kind of forgot about him. Oh, but it was when he was forgotten. It was when he was overlooked. It was when he was out there by himself tending those stinking sheep and defending them from the lion and from the bear. That's when David learned how to be king. That's when David learned the principles. Notice Asaph ties them together. He's shepherding the sheep and then he shepherds the nation. Pray that future leaders would have a good, sound 
moral, godly upbringing. That's when lives are shaped. David was under authority. David understood stewardship. They were not his sheep. And he understood economics. The flock grew uh, during that time. And David applied these principles even as king. Thirdly, pray for integrity in the heart. Now some people have integrity only in the areas where you can see. Only in the areas where they might get caught. Only in the areas where it might be uh, disastrous to their career. David was a person who had integrity in his heart. Now, was he perfect? Yeah, you know the answer to that. No, he wasn't. But the main tendency of his life was to be a man of integrity, and that integrity came not from the eyes of other people watching, not from polls, not from anything that might help him, but it came from his heart, his walk with God. He's the one, after all, that said, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, right? He shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart. Pray for them that they're not just led by the poles, that they have godly, wise, and, and uh, beneficial people helping them, and what they do benefits the people that they serve, and that they would lead, and they would benefit, they would protect, and they would understand that even though they are instituted as a leader in the country, they don't own the country, and they don't own the people. The country and the people belong to God, and they are accountable to Him. And number four, Pray for wisdom and skill. It says in the last part, He guided them by the skillfulness of His hands. You know, it's one thing to know what's right. It's one thing, we do this all the time, to be an armchair quarterback, isn't it? We all know what we would do and what the president and the governor should have done with this coronavirus. Oh, really? Would you really want to sit in that chair? Because no matter what you do, you're going to get heat. And nobody's going to go, oh, what a wise person. There's going to be half of the country that thinks you're a fool and half of the country that agrees with you. And then if you make the other decision, it flip-flops. I mean, you really do feel the heat. Well, when we think about David, David was a skillful person. Skillful. And we need leaders presently, and we're going to need them in the future, who know how to build bridges, where it's appropriate. Sometimes it's not appropriate. Sometimes that's the worst thing you can do. Sometimes you just stand your ground and you need to take the heat no matter what. But there are other times when you could build a bridge, you could build a coalition. Abraham Lincoln did this. He said the best way to handle an enemy is to make him a friend. And he said keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And Lincoln even had people that bitterly opposed him and he would put them in his cabinet and try to make them a friend and watch what they were doing and, and understand what was happening there. And uh, he was sometimes well-liked and sometimes hated. We revere people like him now, but we're way past his presidency, aren't we? Uh, we can evaluate it a little differently, but he was controversial at the time. We need to have presidents, leaders who can build coalitions, who see the future, who see the big picture of things. We need that. They need to be skilled. They need to be skilled in putting together policies, don't they? They need to be skilled in communication. We live in a communication age. All of these things are very important because we need somebody who, like David, 
can not only know what's right, but actually guide them by the skillfulness of his hands. And so they've got to understand human nature. They've got to understand their own nature. This is why we have three branches of government. Our founders knew if you put the power in one branch of government or in the hands of one person in government, you're in trouble because the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. We've got to have a balance here. In fact, those three government uh, branches are not really supposed to get along. They're kind of designed to sort of fight each other and keep each other in check. We need all of that. And we need somebody who can uphold righteous laws and change unrighteous laws to know the difference. And we need someone who can fear God, which is the beginning of wisdom. The book of Proverbs says in chapter 29, verse 2, when the righteous increase, they're not being squelched, but they're increasing. Their influence is increasing, right? The people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. In other words, even if the people get what they want, if it's not someone who is righteous, what are you going to get out of it? Well, Paul said, we want to live a quiet and peaceable life. Would you agree with me that life in America right now is anything but quiet and peaceable? I mean, just watch the news. Just watch what goes on. Read Twitter. Pay attention to what people are saying. Everybody's looking for a way to be ticked off or a way to assert their own opinion into something. Everybody's looking to kind of drive an agenda. It's anything but quiet and peaceable. So what do we need? We need for the righteous to increase in number and in influence. And that influence may be leadership. Maybe your child will be president someday. It's happened. Maybe your child will be in Congress. I don't know. And maybe there'll be someone else that is president or in Congress, and probably it will be. Wouldn't you like for them to be influenced by your prayers today? So I close saying, get involved in politics by being a prayer warrior. And pray about not just the current situation, pray about the future for the glory of God and the well-being of your children and your grandchildren till Jesus comes. Thank you so much. I pray the Lord will bless you and pray that you stay healthy and pray that as our economy recovers, pray certainly that it will, that, uh, that those blessings will spill out upon you as well. But above all, that you'll grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.